If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. BC's wildfires go from bad to worse. I guess the Pocahontas referred to as the highway through hell, and that's exactly what it was last night. Crews put to the test as more structures are lost and key routes forced to close. Another jump in COVID hospitalizations, the fourth wave hitting the unvaccinated and the strain on the health system. And desperate families flee Afghanistan. Thousands rush the airport hoping for a flight out. The concerns from families here in B.C. You're watching Global B.C. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thank you for joining us. Wildfires in B.C. have now consumed three quarters of a million hectares this year many of them roaring closer to homes and businesses. More than 3,500 crew are fighting back, including at one of the most dangerous, the White Rock Lake Fire west of Vernon. Our Madagahi is live on West Side Road near Okanagan Lake with the latest on evacuation orders and alerts. Imad? Yeah, this fire is 62,000 hectares at last count. Right now, there are crews uh, beyond that RCMP checkpoint doing a full assessment of damage on the ground as we've learned again that the White Rock Lake fire has been destructive, uh, hearing about 50 to 60 structures along the west side of Okanagan Lake have been damaged by wildfire. This happening last night when winds fanned the flames, fueling them uh, east of a containment line towards the communities on the west side of the lake. We're told the structures burned could be homes, vacation properties, businesses in the Kilney Beach and Ewing Landing area. The behavior of the fire last night is being described as extreme. It's being called aggressive. At one point, flames had trapped firefighters. They say this happened when the fire burned right down a west side road on the north and south of their location, and those overnight crews were safely pulled out near 2 a.m. Meanwhile, the Okanagan Indian Band says it is also compiling a list of properties in the affected area to see what has been lost. Staff there will be reaching out to the homeowners in person before reporting any extent of the damage. Kalini Beach looks in really bad shape. Doesn't look like anything survived there, but I can't say for sure. The fire activity we've seen this summer, the fire conditions, they've been extreme. In these conditions, escape routes can quickly be compromised or cut off completely. Just yesterday, on the White Rock Lake fire, BC Wildfire Service and structural protection crews had to shelter in safe zones due to aggressive wildfire activity. 
Now today, the Emergency Operations Center for the Regional District of Central Okanagan is again urging people who may still be in evacuation order areas to leave immediately if they haven't already. They're saying that fire crews need to be focused on fire suppression. And there was a situation last night where a fire rescue boat had to stop fighting the fire to help people who shouldn't be where they were and help them evacuate. And they say that is a certain topic of concern. And just recently this afternoon, a photo has emerged on social media from behind that blockade showing what appears to be a well-known community staple along West Side Road. The Little Kingdom store appears to be damaged. We'll work on confirming that. All right, thanks for uh, that Imadagahi reporting on the White Rock Lake fire. Now, the fire situation has forced Interior Health to take the proactive move of getting seniors in long-term care out of the path of the flames. The centres affected are all near the fire zones. Most of the seniors will be moved to the Lower Mainland. From Armstrong, 81 are on the move. From 100 Mile, there are 34 en route to either Prince George or Metro Vancouver. From Merritt, 108 people have been relocated to Kelowna. And from West Kelowna, 300 have been moved over the bridge to Kelowna. Another 150 seniors will be flown to Metro Vancouver on Tuesday. All right, here's a look now at the overall wildfire situation as it stands. And you can quickly see how dire things are in some regions of the province right now. We have 266 active wildfires burning in the province, seven in the last two days. Much of the concern at the moment is in the Kamloops Fire Center, where there are 18 fires of note and thousands of people on evacuation order. Those areas shaded in red on the map are on evacuation alert or evacuation alert areas are shaded in yellow. Okay, another wildfire closing off a vital artery between the Lower Mainland and the rest of the province. The Coquihalla remains closed south of Merritt because of the July Mountain Fire, causing some scary moments for the last people who made it through. Our Grace Key is covering that part of the story tonight. Grace. Yeah, we are just in hope. And if you are planning on going to the Coquihalla, well, you are going to be greeted by several of these electronic signs behind me here, letting you know about the closure. Oh my Surrounded by thick smoke, falling embers, and intense heat, this was the terrifying route Dawn Adamson endured for 20 minutes when she hit Larson Hill south of Merritt, just before the Coquihalla Highway was shut down. I guess the Coquihalla is referred to as the highway through hell, and that's exactly what it was last night. I could feel it. I could feel the whoosh. I could hear it. And it was just an incredibly scary time that, frankly, I wasn't slowing down for anything. Wildfires have forced the closure of Coquihalla Highway in both directions between Hope and Merritt. Commuters are now forced to take major detours. Heading back to Winnipeg and yeah, we were going to head up five, but now going one instead. Yeah, add a few hours, I guess. 7,000 Merritt residents will have to be prepared to leave at a moment's notice after the entire community was put on evacuation alert on Sunday. Some people are pretty uptight, but it's we're, we can see it from quite a ways away here, so I think we'll have enough time to evacuate. Many have been heading to Merritt's emergency social services for help, though it is now no longer accepting evacuees. He'll be all right. At least you didn't stay in Logan Lake. <laughs> Before I left, I put a sprinkler on the roof of the house. Hope for the best. 
anyone needing assistance will have to head to Chilliwack Senior Secondary, where an emergency reception center has been set up. It was creeping up pretty close. When we were headed to Merritt, I took a video. You could see the flames cresting over the top of the mountain. Yeah, it was pretty scary. There's a lot of stuff that my grandma bought me. She lives in Ontario, but she said that can be replaced, and she is right. So I only got a little bit of things that she got for me, and I got all the necessary items. Now, no word yet on when the Coquihalla will be reopening, but the next update is expected tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Chris and Sophie? All right, thanks very much, Grace. Now, above West Kelowna, residents from more than 400 homes were forced out Sunday night as the Mount Law wildfire quickly grew out of control. Global's Sydney Morton is keeping an eye on that fire. And Sydney, this one is believed to be caused by humans. That's right, it was. And Okanagan residents are on edge. This is a situation that's changing every hour. It's not as windy as it was yesterday and we're thankfully getting a little bit of rain. More than an estimated 1,000 residents of Glen Rosa were evacuated and they are being sent to the Kelowna Salvation Army to be registered and to go into hotels. But the unsettling thing, though, is that Kelowna's full. Hotels are completely booked, and the regional district of the Central Okanagan is looking for other options. Evacuees that I spoke with, they're in good spirits. This isn't the first time they've been evacuated, but it won't be the last. I also spoke with West Kelowna Fire Chief Jason Brolin to see how he and his team are doing. He said that firefighters never get scared, and yesterday they were. Some of the firefighters, to add on to the stress, were on evacuation order or alert themselves. And then the weather today is making them cautiously optimistic for the future. Back to you. Certainly hoping for more of that precipitation. All right, thanks for that, Sydney. No doubt. All right, farther north in the Kamloops area, fires are sparking new evacuation alerts. The Tremont Creek Fire putting parts of Kamloops on evacuation alert as smoke shrouds the hills. Barrier and McClure communities that burned in massive fires in 2003 also are under evacuation alert tonight. The Sparks Lake Fire is expanding in their direction. 25% of all the land in the Thompson-Nicola Regional District is either under evacuation order or alert. Currently we have 29 evacuation orders affecting over 1,400 properties. Uh, the number of alerts uh, we have right now, 60 alerts, uh, and that's uh, affecting over 3,000 properties. Cooler temperatures and some rain are expected to help firefighters in the Kamloops area. How long it will last, though, is a matter of some question. So let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon. Christy, we did see some rain in parts of the province today, and, and we're hoping for more relief in the forecast. Yes, and we do have some relief in the forecast, although it's just in the short term. Let me quickly show you what happened this afternoon. A frontal band moving across the region. We did see a trace to five millimeters of rain in many of the areas where we needed it. But of course, as you can see here, it came with a number of lightning strikes. Gusts today were not as bad as yesterday. We saw them in the 30 to 40 kilometer an hour range, and they're expected to ease off still through the overnight. This is how much rain we could see by the morning hours tomorrow. We're talking about five to 15 millimeters of rain, which is significant considering 
considering how much we've had or very little we've had over the last little while. But again, it comes with thunderstorms as well. Fire weather index indicates uh, how intense actual fires will burn. So the current ones that are there and you can see by all of the blue here that we've got a very low fire weather index expected overnight tonight, except up and through the caribou region, as you can see here. So big improvement expected overnight. But as we head into tomorrow, we'll show you the winds that we're expecting and which areas we're concerned about. All right, we'll check in and yeah, just a, a little bit. Thanks, Christy. Well, with the Delta COVID variant running rampant among the unvaccinated, how Canadians feel about proof of vaccination. What a new poll shows us in just over a minute. This week, it's back to BC Place, what the stadium is doing to make sure upcoming sports events are COVID safe. And a big surprise for a lot of people who got pandemic pets. That's later. Right now, though, uh, look at the COVID-19 numbers for BC. And remember, we have three days worth here. There are 1,435 new cases. Again, more than half are in the interior. And we have more than 5,000 active cases. 104 people are in hospital. That's up 22. 47 of those patients are in the ICU. Sadly, we've had one more death from COVID-19. And on the vaccination front, 73.2% of those 12 and older are now fully vaccinated. Keith Baldry joins us now with a closer look at some of these numbers. Keith, break down where we're seeing those active cases right now. Yeah, our number of active cases have doubled in just 10 days. Quite extraordinary. And again, we're seeing the most COVID breakout in the interior. Here's a, a look at the active cases right now. These are people who are not yet beyond the 14-day incubation period. Uh, Delta variant is also in 98% of the cases now. And as you can see, the interior continues to have the most active cases of all by a considerable margin, a jump of more than 500 in just three days in the interior. But we're seeing an uptick in other health authorities as well. Fraser is close not close behind, but second uh, now, Vancouver Coastal close behind Fraser. We are starting to see a significant increase in Vancouver Island, up 52 in just three days, and the north with an increase, a relatively modest increase of 34. But I can tell you in the north, the positivity rate is more than 12%. It's more than 13% in the interior. We've got an outbreak now associated with a Site C construction project in the north. Uh, these, these active cases continue to climb, and they're going to climb for some time because the Delta variant is so uh, infectious and it's infecting people below the age of 40, particularly people in the age of between 20 and 29. Yet more incentive to get the shot. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, a new survey says an overwhelming majority of British Columbians believe proof of double vaccination should be required for people to take part in public activities. As Richard Zussman reports, there's also strong support for proof among employees in many sectors of the economy, even office workers. Update. The province has been asking nicely for months. It's time to get vaccinated. But now the overwhelming sense from British Columbians is asking, isn't enough? Eight in ten BC residents support the idea of double vaccination to participate in a wide range of activities. So the support levels are pretty high. In a poll conducted by Insights West, 79% of people, including 57% strongly, support vaccine mandates. The provincial government starts mandating vaccines for different professions. Uh, the public's going to be behind them. 
how much support depends on where the shot's required. 81% of the province supports it for domestic air travel, 81% for concerts, 79% for sporting events, 77% to attend university, 74% to go to the gym, and 68% to eat at a restaurant or shop at a mall. The question is, will the province put in rules to force vaccine into people's arms? If you're not vaccinated, there may be things you're not going to be able to do uh, that other people can do. There's also a strong push for workers to be vaccinated. 87% of people support hospital and medical workers getting a COVID shot. 84% for chiropractors, physiologists and dentists. 83% for teachers. When it comes to actually requiring it, I think I would need to know more about, okay, what are we talking about? How do we handle people who we say have a medical reason why they can't? You have to assess risk to everybody when you're making those kind of decisions. 80% support federal and provincial workers, and 79% support all workers to be vaccinated. This comes as Ottawa has announced mandates for federal employees to be vaccinated. BC hasn't yet followed suit. To date, we, we have stopped short of endorsing any kind of mandatory vaccination. Uh, instead, what we're doing is encouraging uh, our members and the general public to get vaccinated. The province expected to announce more details on teachers and students and anyone else in schools later this week or next week. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Just ahead, the escape from Afghanistan. <laughs> Hundreds of families with children rush the airport hoping for a flight out. And the first full day on the federal campaign trail, what the leaders are saying to get your vote. A crash on Highway 1 westbound in Coquitlam just underneath the Brunette overpass has traffic backed up all the way to the Lougheed uh, interchange. Getting free stuff with more rewards points is easy, especially when you shop during the 20 times more rewards points event all this week at Save On Foods. In Global One, I'm Tim Main. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories on Global News Hour at 6. Brought to you in part by Fortis BC, BC's energy solutions provider. U.S. President Joe Biden was unrepentant today in addressing the unfolding crisis in Afghanistan. Biden admitted the Taliban's takeover happened more quickly than anticipated. He puts the blame on the Afghan government and says ending U.S. military involvement in the country is the right thing to do. I will not pass this responsibly on, responsibility on to a fifth president. I will not mislead the American people by claiming that just a little more time in Afghanistan will make all the difference. Nor will I shrink from my share of responsibility for where we are today and how we must move forward from here. I am president of the United States of America, and the buck stops with me. And some gut-wrenching scenes at the airport in Kabul as thousands of people tried desperately to flee. As Aaron MacArthur reports, Afghan Canadians are watching the fast-moving developments with a mixture of dread and anger. Absolutely helpless. With 35 family members trapped in Afghanistan, Sima who doesn't want us to use her last name for fear of retaliation, has spent the last few nights desperate for any news. We were in pain, not physical pain, 
emotional pain and how to help 36 or 35 people how to save them uh, in i counted it's more of like more than 20 of them are women over the weekend taliban fighters strolled into the capital kabul hardly firing a shot allied trained defense forces put up next to no resistance and Sunday, President Ashraf Ghani simply walked away from the country. Monday, thousands of people crushed the airport, desperate to get a flight out. Seven people died in the melee. Watching it all unfold in Vancouver is Hasib Sawari. The restaurateur remembers life under the previous Taliban regime. As a Canadian citizen, I want to know what is our government going to do to fight for the girls, for the women, for, for the children, and for their future? The NATO-led mission came to an end in 2014. Canada had ceased combat operations three years prior to that. In total, more than 40,000 troops were deployed to Afghanistan, more than 150 killed in combat. Thousands more suffering psychological trauma. Soldiers' families afraid that sacrifice will have been for nothing. <sighs> to, to know that we weren't able to sustain it is very sad. Operations at the Canadian Embassy have been temporarily suspended. The government has promised to take in 20,000 refugees. But with the country in chaos, no one is sure how that is even remotely possible. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Federal election campaigning is getting underway in earnest now as party leaders work to secure votes before Canadians go to the polls September 20th. Global's Matthew Bingley has what you need to know from the campaign trail. The Conservatives began Monday by launching the party's platform. We will secure jobs by recovering the one million jobs lost during the pandemic and more in one year. Conservative Party leader Aaron O'Toole saying his government would wind down emergency COVID support programs, offer rebates to increase tourism, and scrap the Liberals' childcare agreements with provinces in favor of its tax credit. We're going to help all families immediately, and some of the uh, lower income levels will actually get 75% of costs covered. O'Toole was once again forced to clarify his position on vaccination mandates. Rapid testing in particular on a daily basis can be very effective to make sure we reduce the spread. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau on Montreal's South Shore again took shots at the conservative approach to vaccinations. These are the same people who won't commit that all of their candidates will be fully vaccinated. While announcing plans to extend an existing program covering half the wages of rehired workers, Trudeau was asked about timing an election campaign while a humanitarian crisis unfolds in Afghanistan. We take very seriously the situation in Afghanistan and our responsibilities to continue to step up, and we will do exactly that. Again, on mandatory vaccines, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh says policies for federal workers should be in place by Labor Day. If we don't do everything possible to get all adults vaccinated, it's really kids that are going to be at risk when the school year resumes. Singh was in Jack Layden's former Toronto riding and had to contend with a heckler while delivering his message. We want to make the ultra-rich pay their fair share 
stop the free ride that liberals and conservatives have given them. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet veered off of his province's interests, proposing policy to wean Alberta industries off of fossil fuels. Green Party leader Annemi Paul also pitching matters to address the climate crisis. No new pipeline projects, no oil and gas exploration, no fracking. Matthew Bingley, Global News. Up next, a woman alleging her trusted mechanic did her dirty. I've recommended him over the years. I mean, we're talking 25 years. Her allegations, the shot took it for a joyride and how the owner responded when confronted by consumer reporter Sean O'Shea. And a child caught in the middle of a doctor's dispute at BC Children's Hospital. crash in Coquitlam causing major delays highway 1 westbound just underneath the brunette overpass so it's filtering down to two lanes and the lineups are long through the new charitable partnership between Kermac Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital when you choose Kermac Collision and Autoglass you also choose to support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center in Global One I'm Tim May Vancouver police have a suspect in custody in a seemingly random and horrifying crime in Mount Pleasant that almost killed a Vancouver man. The 46-year-old victim was near Quebec Street and East 10th Avenue at about 3 in the afternoon on Sunday when a complete stranger came up from behind, cut his throat and walked away. The victim suffered significant cuts to his neck. Bystanders rushed to help him and call 911. He was taken to hospital where he received stitches and was released. The suspect, 30-year-old Vancouver resident Jesse Attig, was arrested and is charged with attempted murder. He is still in custody. And a 35-year-old man has been arrested in a pair of attacks on Commercial Drive in Vancouver. Vancouver police say both incidents happened within minutes of each other at around 8 o'clock Sunday morning. In the first attack, a 35-year-old man was approached from behind and groped by the suspect. Just minutes later, the same man allegedly pushed a woman against a fence near Commercial and East 12th and punched her. Multiple witnesses called 911 and police quickly arrested a suspect who is expected to face charges. The victim of a fatal stabbing in Whistler Village early Saturday morning is being identified on a GoFundMe page. Friends say 26-year-old Henry Garcia was stabbed multiple times about 2 a.m. while trying to get a taxi back to the hotel where he was staying. Garcia was active in volleyball leagues and the GoFundMe has now surpassed $20,000. The integrated homicide investigation team is investigating, but there has not been anyone arrested in the case. The Vancouver Whitecaps are condemning what's being called a racially motivated attack, targeting three players in the team's academy system. In a statement, the team says it happened Saturday evening. One player was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries and is expected to make a full recovery following surgery. The Caps go on to say, enough is enough. We are heartbroken and sickened by the allegations and strongly condemn all forms of discrimination, racism and hate. Such disgusting behavior has absolutely no place in our community. Burnaby RCMP say another 17-year-old was arrested nearby and has since been released. Investigators are still working to determine a motive. An unusual request from New Westminster Police says they search for a high-risk missing man. 38-year-old Eric Cardenio was last seen at 2 a.m. on Saturday at his home in Queensboro. Police say his family is very concerned for his well-being 
And they're now asking people to check their properties, including any outbuildings, sheds, rooftops, or garages. So he's approximately 5'10". He's a 38-year-old uh, male, uh, medium build. He was wearing a dark-colored tank top and basketball shorts, and he's got a distinct uh, tattoo from his chest down his uh, left arm. And again, we're, we're deeply concerned for his well-being. The family's concerned for his well-being. Police say it's out of character for Cardenio to disappear, and they are uncertain about his state of mind. A warning from a Toronto woman after she took her convertible to a mechanic she had trusted for more than two decades. She says the shop took her vehicle for a 100-kilometer joyride. Global Sean O'Shea looks at her proof and how the shop owner is responding to the complaint. It looked like right off the lot. It was incredible. Karen Bliss adores her convertible. That car makes traffic a joy. Bliss just paid $1,000 to have the 2006 Pontiac Solstice professionally polished, protected, and sealed at a specialized company north of Toronto. It was beyond immaculate. Her friend Kenny Sprackman says the car looked perfect when it was done. They were wiping here and there. There was not a mark on that car when we left. Later, Bliss took the car for an oil change at Starling Automotive, her regular shop with a good reputation. I've recommended him over the years. I mean, we're talking 25 years. The troubles began after she left the car at the shop for the day. When Bliss drove it home two kilometers after the service work, she said the car was scratched and dirty. It's got all this white crud all on the bottom of it. I caught up with Mike Roth, the shop's owner. You could be smug. You were not here when the car was brought in. You didn't see the car when was the, the car, car was in bad in. shape when it came in? No, it's not in bad shape, but it wasn't pristine. That car is beautiful. Bliss said Roth's shop took an odometer reading when she dropped it off. I actually made a little joke about the global news story that, Sean, you did on the guy that had taken his car to Nissan and someone had taken that on a joyride. Bliss's odometer at the shop read 79,148. When she checked the mileage at home later that day, it was 79,256. And I did the math and I'm like... Someone took it on a 100-kilometer joyride. It's a clerical error. We wrote the incorrect mileage down. Hard to believe because that paint shop had previously written down the mileage at 79,114. It's 27 kilometers away. Bliss's numbers all add up. It's irrefutable. Roth denies there was any joyride, but says there was certainly enough time. We had an opportunity to drive the car 700 kilometers. He refused to pay the cost to repair Karen's car. Roughly $400. I would just like to say that there seems there's a lot of important things going on in the world that could use news coverage, and I don't think this is one of them. Mike, you're the most important person in my life right now, and this story have is my day. first What's your name again? Sean O'Shea, Sh- Consumer Sean? Reporter at Global Shea. News. Have a good day, okay? Have a good day. Thanks. We're all good? Karen Bliss has this advice. Maybe we should do a walk around, and we should take photos of our odometers in front of the mechanic so that we do have proof. Sean O'Shea, Global News. Well, we have told you about the internal problems at BC Children's Hospital that left the cardiac care program understaffed. Many families now have to go out of the province desperate to get care for their children. And tonight, the harrowing experience of one family who had to take their son to Alberta at great risk to his health. Kylie Stanton has their story. He's on heart bypass machines, he's on gas to open up his veins, he's on dialysis to help his kidneys, the list goes on and on and on. Shortly after birth, James Lazeski was diagnosed with heart failure. He's been through a lot in his short life. 
and now at just seven months old, it's on the verge of being cut short unless he receives a new heart. Our choices were transfer him to Edmonton or put him on palliative care. So obviously transfer to Edmonton is the risk we took. En route, James went into cardiac arrest twice, once over Kamloops and again upon arrival in Edmonton. He was stabilized, but still his kidneys and liver were in failure and there was potential for brain damage. Which all of these things would now make him ineligible for heart transplant. But the Lezeskis were told the trip was James's only chance, as BC Children's Hospital no longer had a program or surgeons in place to perform the life-saving procedure. From what we understand, it's failure to deal with an HR issue that's been going on for years. The problem allegedly lies with cardiac surgeons Dr. Sanjeev Gandhi and Dr. Andrew Campbell. Both were said to be on leave. This memo, dated July 21st of this year, shared by a concerned family, says Dr. Campbell will be returning. There's no mention of Dr. Gandhi. Locums would be brought in to fill the gaps. The Provincial Health Services Authority did not respond to our request for comment, but parent advocates say it's hit a breaking point and are calling on the province to step in. The ministry needs to be accountable to the public, to the families, and there needs to be some strategic oversight to bring about a robust solution, and it needs to come quickly before more lives are put at risk. It's unfortunate, and uh, we're not happy about it, but, uh, but we're working hard to, to address that, and we're going to do so soon. With a congenital heart defect affecting one in every 100 births, the situation is being called critical. James, who is slowly recovering, is just one of an estimated 18 children who have been transferred out of the province for care. The fear is he won't be the last. It's our kids' lives, and that's probably the biggest message to drive home here. Their failure to manage now puts our kids' lives at risk. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Still ahead, it's a wait list just for the wait list. A lot, a lot, a lot of young puppies coming in for daycare. Pet owners surprised by a stunning shortage of spaces at doggy daycare. And safety in numbers. BC Place shows off new COVID protocols as crowds return for major sports events. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, some welcome rain recently. Mm, yeah, meteorologist Christy Gordon, let's bring her back in and see how much more we might be uh, getting in the forecast. Christy? Well, thankfully, much cooler conditions today and not a ton of rain, but certainly some rain helped things and the winds being a little bit lighter was also very helpful. I wanted to just quickly show you the temperature trend that we're expecting. So yesterday we had record-breaking temperatures in Kelowna at 38 degrees. Today was at 24, 25 degrees and tomorrow it's going to be even cooler still. Now it's just one day of that cooler weather, but when you look at the long range, we don't have a significant surge of temperature in the forecast, which is good news. Now here's the frontal band that we were showing you uh, in terms of moisture. It is going to focus in on the Columbia and the Kootenai region tomorrow, but still the Okanagan Valley, the Caribou region still expecting some rainfall overnight. We're talking about 5 to 15 millimeters. And then those arrows, those are the northwest winds that are going to develop tomorrow afternoon. So winds will be light overnight, but tomorrow afternoon we'll see some gusts ranging from 30 to 50 kilometers an hour in many of the regions that we don't need the winds. The good news is it looks like it may ease off by the evening hours, so it'll just be a burst through the afternoon hours tomorrow 
tomorrow. That is going to disperse some of that smoke, thankfully, towards the south. We may see some haze here across the south coast, but that will actually help movement a little bit. So hopefully decreasing the concentrations in a lot of the regions tomorrow. Northern BC, sunny and warm. Southern BC, still a chance of showers and a risk of thunderstorms. But that shifts towards the southeast throughout the morning hours. So the majority of the moisture will be in the Columbia and the Kootenai region. Fraser, uh, Fraser uh, Valley will also see a few showers tomorrow. But for Metro Vancouver, just a few showers overnight. Generally, over the next three days, we're expecting sunny, warm conditions once again. Again, risk of thunderstorms as well expected overnight tonight. Here's tonight's central windows weather window. Just apocalyptic uh, images coming out of Vernon, uh, Armstrong, a lot of areas from yesterday. So I thought I would show you this. This was during the daytime when the actual street lights were on. Back to you guys. So crazy, the pictures coming out of the interior. All right, thanks, Christy. For sure. Well, ahead of the return to play for the BC Lions and Vancouver Whitecaps at BC Place, the stadium is showing off its new COVID protocols. That's right. The stadium is rolling out a series of new contactless protocols designed to keep everyone safe. Admission will be handled by a phone-based barcode system, so that means no more paper tickets. Attendees are asked to have their belongings in a clear bag to make for touchless security checks. The stadium is also going cashless for food and souvenir purchases. We're following all public health orders and so masks are recommended for our guests. We uh, encourage people not to congregate in the concourse, to purchase their food and beverage, use the restrooms and then make their way back into the stands, into their seats to enjoy the game. And so we have lots of signage around the building uh, sharing this information with our, our guests. BC Place is the first stadium in Canada to be certified by the Global Bio-Risk Advisory Council for its outbreak prevention, response and recovery protocols. The Global Bio-Risk Advisory Council. Who knew there was such a thing? But yes, <laughs> there is. I guess we need it these days. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to uh, seeing some action in BC Place. Once yeah, that's... Fire. Thursday Lions and then Saturday Whitecaps. So I think it's 12,550 maximum for the Lions and 13,000 for the Whitecaps. I think that's the number. Uh, anyway, these of course are ominous days for the town of Merritt, but one of their best known sons, Roger Sloan, is thinking of his hometown as he becomes a serious player on the PGA Tour. I'm very proud to come from Merritt, come from the Merritt Golf and Country Club, and uh, it's, it's a cool story. And we'll tell you that cool story of the man who yesterday qualified for the FedEx Cup playoffs with a second-place finish. All right, sounds good. And puppies are hard. The crisis in pet care facing many new dog owners. First game back at BC Place, the atmosphere is going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. I'm sure. I hope so. I hope they do fill all the seats. That would be fun. And, of course, the Whitecaps on Saturday as well. Uh, in their first two regular season games, the starting quarterback for the BC Lions was a surprise. In week one, the guy who trotted out there was Nathan Rourke when everyone thought Michael Riley would be able to play despite a sore elbow. Then in week two, Michael Riley started when everybody thought his elbow wouldn't let him play. And Rourke would have to start a game. Well, this Thursday, when BC is finally home against Edmonton, the coach says he knows who his starting quarterback will be. But you know what? I get the feeling he's not 100% sure yet. We're going to list him as our starter. And I'm saying what I've said from the, from the get-go. He is playing. If he is good to go, if he's all the stuff that happens in pregame with him medically, if, it's good, if it checks out and it's good to go, he's going. And we'll list him as our starter. And if he's not ready to go for some reason, then uh, we'll go to Nathan. 
What we really don't know is who the kicker will be. The BC Lions had Stefan Flintoff, their practice guy out there today, but they also brought in two other kickers with CFL practice roster experience in Jimmy Camacho and Felix Maynard-Briere, but we don't know which of them will kick on Thursday. This is because yesterday the Lions had to cut rookie kicker Takeru Yamasaki after two games. He was just unreliable, but it was a tough ask to put a rookie in who didn't even have an exhibition game to get used to kicking with 12 angry men looking to either block the kick or run it back if you miss it. I thought he was really fundamentally sound and he was his percentages were really high and I, it, you know that's kind of what I was banking on. I knew it was a little bit of a taking a little bit of a chance and that he hadn't had a lot of experience but he was so sound fundamentally and seemed consistent in his approach that we thought that would kind of ride it through and um, just didn't work out. Great kid, um, gave it a good go, but it's just uh, it's not the right fit for right now. So yesterday, Merritt's Roger Sloan came within about an inch of winning his first PGA tournament. He just missed a birdie putt on the first playoff hole, but he finished in a tie for second at the Wyndham Championship, which was the first time three BC boys had finished in the top 10 of a PGA event because Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin and Nick Taylor both tied for 10th. Now it's amazing we have three BC boys on the tour right now with Surrey's Adam Svensson making it four next season. He's qualified for his PGA card next season. But the road to the big time for Roger Sloan came from a small town and a small town golf course. Cool story. I mean, not, not a lot of guys on the PGA Tour come from little municipal nine-hole golf courses and in a country that's all about hockey. So, um, you know, I'm, I am. I'm, I'm very proud to come from Merritt and come from the Merritt Golf and Country Club, and uh, it's, it's a cool story. A story that's still being written by Merritt's Roger Sloan. Sloan coming an inch away from winning his first PGA Tour event on the weekend when he lost in a six-man playoff. Roger's second place finish his best ever showing in his four years on tour. It was a cool moment. I'm walking down the fairway in the playoff. You got a Masters champion. You got a, you know, somebody WGC champion. You got a players champion. Very decorated people. Very humbled. And uh, just a cool moment to just to know that my golf game, when, when it's at its best, is at the, the same caliber as those players. Came into the week at 137. It's been quite the journey for Roger to get this far in his career. He first earned full-time status on tour back in 2015, but his stay lasted just one season where he made seven cuts in 20 events. Up until a month ago, his PGA card was again in jeopardy, but the 34-year-old stuck to the grind. Roger finishing 16th, 6th, and now 2nd in the final three events of the regular season to vault 55 spots in the standings to retain his card and also qualify for the FedEx playoffs. I think early in my career I was distracted by the significance of what was on the line every single week. Um, you know, like I said, we, I grew up in a small town, um, and all of a sudden my rookie year I'm kind of sitting there going, if I have a good week, I finish top 10. I can make more money in one week than a lot of people in my hometown will make in an entire year. Um, and I got caught up in, in the significance of all that. And Sloan pockets a birdie. Even though he hasn't come home to visit his parents since the pandemic started, Sloan remains deeply connected to Merritt and its nine-hole municipal course. It's where he shot his career low round of 58 and still lost to his dad, Curtis, who shot his own career round of 68. 
Watching Sloan play this season, you get the feeling that that first win is going to happen, and he'll join Adam Hadwin and Nick Taylor as BC boys who've won on the PGA Tour. I think it is a super cool story that we have three separate guys who are all the same age, who all, I mean, Adam and I played our very first BC Junior together in Dawson Creek. Nick and I have played a handful of times. I remember we played on the same BC team at the Canadian Junior one year. And really what I hope it does is I hope it spurs on younger kids in, in BC to kind of follow in the same footsteps. So he is not out of it. Four tied at Toronto Raptors coach Nick Nurse has re-signed with Basketball Canada to be our men's coach until the 2024 Olympics, which he hopes to lead us to, obviously. But he hopes his commitment to the program will inspire Canada's best NBA players to do the same. Canada's men's team has not made the Olympics since 2000. There you go. We're hoping they do better at this Olympics, for sure. We have the players that can do it. We sure do. And the coach. And we sure do. All right, thanks, Squire. Up next, a daycare wait list of a different kind. Yet another side effect of the pandemic, and it's surprising to some, has phones ringing off the hook at pet daycare services. As Jennifer Palmer reports, some businesses now have wait lists in the hundreds. They're a part of the family, offering up joy and love every time they see you. And in the pandemic, more of us wanted more of them to keep us company. With the pandemic, everybody started feeling very vulnerable. They start bringing dogs to them, adopting dogs. Okay. One, two, three. Okay. And just Come. for Barks in North Vancouver, Odette Franco says she's seen a significant increase in calls and emails with dog owners looking for doggy daycare. She has a wait list of 200. It's very crazy because I think the business, we cannot support the amount of dogs they, they are looking for as services. Everybody's full right now and it's difficult. It's the same story in Squamish. At Rough Stuff Dog Services, Tracy Odell has a wait list of 45, and at her Vancouver location, that number is 70. Both women say they can take up to 40 dogs at a time. Doesn't surprise me at all. Um, just because of there are so many people that have gotten puppies throughout the pandemic. So why do dogs need daycare at an average cost of 30 to $35 a day? Because people are heading back to work and school and they're worried about the dog's separation anxiety. 60, 70% higher than it used to be. And I think a lot of that is because of dogs being at home with their people while they're at home, not going to school, not going to work. But it's not just the dogs, the humans are having a rough go of it too. Even the tone of voice is, is almost, uh, in some cases, there's a, there's a panic level to, you know, because they don't know what to do with their dog when they're so worked up or just so dependent on them. The demand for doggy daycare is a change for these companies that were forced to shut down in the pandemic. Now there's so much in demand, they're trying to offer up this advice. Trying to set up play dates with friends, um, neighbors, to allow their dogs a controlled uh, socialization setting. Jennifer Palma, Global News. Well, we're in a federal election campaign right now. Who's taking up the cause? A $10 a day $10 doggy, day. Daycare. <laughs> doggy daycare. I don't know if that's going to happen. We'll ask them. Is that an <laughs> issue? During the leaders' debate. <laughs> well, it is for dog owners, I guess. I guess so, yeah. All right, uh, Christy, final word on weather. Or do we have time? 
Well, despite the okay. fact that we're seeing a tiny bit of blue sky, we still do have a chance of showers and thunderstorms overnight tonight. So keep your ear out for that. That should clear out through the morning hours and we'll be left with a mix of sun and cloud. All right. Thanks for watching, everyone.